You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Towner, Patrick. Hello, hello. Just the three of us. Caitlin may pop on here. At her leisure. At it, right. Uh, no Mark. Yeah, if we get out of line, she's going to hop on it. The, uh, it is, it's August, it's almost August, and we will be taking our Beltway Briefing August recess, so this is the last episode for a while. Towner, the Congressional yeah. Baseball Game, the annual Congressional Baseball Game. I, I think I, they call it the Midsummer Classic, don't they? Yeah, or is yeah. that something else for the professionals? <laughs> Break it down for us, Towner. It was last night, and it was it was a fun time as always. Uh, you know, there's um, the Republicans uh, really stuck it to the Democrats. Although the game I thought was actually closer than the score certainly indicated, the Republicans won ten to nothing last night behind uh, a couple young guns uh, on the mound, and the Democrats, of course don't have, they're in their second straight year of not having Cedric Richmond, a member of Congress from Louisiana who went to do coalitions outreach for the Biden administration, uh, who was their uh, lockdown pitcher uh, for the eight or so years uh, preceding that. Um, And so uh, the games are competitive. And and in this case, the Republicans uh, stole a lot of bases early. The first first batter of the game uh, was walked then stole second, stole third, uh, and then came in on a grounder that probably shouldn't have been a single, but uh, the the official scorers were generous, and and the Republicans were off and rolling from there. There was a little bit of uh, chaos throughout the game, uh, a nice uh, summer downpour in the fourth inning, uh, mm-hmm. and everybody fled, and everybody, all the staffers <laughs> and members of Congress were were got drenched. And uh, Linda Sanchez was running to first base uh, after getting walked and decided to flick off the uh, uh, the Republican dugout, which was not accepted very well. So there was a there was a little bit of back and forth. There was a collision at the plate. Um, And all in all, though, uh, a fun time was had by all. To my knowledge, no member of Congress suffered a catastrophic injury, which marks a very good uh, congressional baseball game. And uh, and it was a fun night. Very good. I, I think the American people may not consider that a successful evening at the congressional <laughs> baseball game, but uh, that's a whole different discussion. Actually, on that. Yeah. Why, guys... Why are congressional approval ratings just always in the tank? Why do people hate Congress so much? Yeah, the, the like classic John McCain said at one point that, that members of Congress approval rating is down to blood relatives and staff uh, in favor of them. And, and he's exactly right. I have a theory on this, and I think it's the same reason why everybody hates the NFL but loves their football team. Uh, you don't like the organization. You like the individuals in many cases, but you don't like the organization. And so individual members of Congress certainly have higher approval ratings. Uh, I would say all individual members of Congress, even the most hated members of Congress, have higher approval ratings than the body as a as a whole. And that's just, I think, part of our last 30 years of hating institutions in this country. Patrick. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree with all that. The one thing I would point to, though, beyond the approval ratings that has changed is, you know, we used to just have longer periods of congressional majorities. I mean, when the Republicans took back the House uh, in 1994, the Democrats had been in the majority for 40 years. Um, I don't think any of us on this podcast foresee a 40-year majority for either party for the foreseeable future. We have had one change election after another uh, my entire time in professional Washington. And that, to me, is like the primal scream of the American people saying, we are not in any given case voting for a particular legislative agenda. We just keep, keep flipping back and forth because mm. we're so tired of the deliberative bodies not uh, performing in the way that they should. And I, I just think, so I agree with everything Towner said. My, my point isn't a, a counter argument. It's, it's just, I think, a reality now that um, people are uh, very disappointed with how Congress acts and behaves on a regular basis. What we could go into a longer spiel about is how the institution has changed, um, how committees have changed, more powers with leadership now, earmarks, all yeah. sorts of things that used to give people a little more insight into what their members were actually doing. A lot of those things have changed and could be a part of the reason why people disapprove of Congress yeah. as well, Howard. I think the endless messaging bills that get passed, but when when they know that they aren't going to pass the other chamber, things like that just annoy people. And it, it seems like they're legislating for no they're legislating for the purpose of a soundbite as opposed to to pass bills. But meanwhile, a couple of very significant things are getting done legislatively. Going into the recess here, you have the CHIPS bill, Towner, um, the, the um, package to bolster the U.S. semiconductor industry, right. the um, piece of the China competition package um that's been floating through congress is is getting done um and this reconciliation bill which was originally the democrats had multi-trillion dollar stars in their eyes now we're talking about a multi-billion dollar package but but one that is exceeding expectations as far as where people thought um the democrats were going to end up so some things are getting done. I mean, I don't know that it changes the equation as far as how people feel about Congress. Clearly, it doesn't. Clearly, it's not going to. Those feelings are so entrenched. But they are getting some significant legislation passed. Yeah, they they are. And, and you know, to your point, the CHIPS Act was approved by the House yesterday on a fairly party line vote. Republicans, the, the main concern here from a from a lobbying perspective, the thing that we're all watching right now is that, you know, I think a lot of folks believe certainly on the Republican side of the aisle, I think some folks on the Democratic side of the aisle, that there's some sort of co collusion between Manchin and Schumer uh, that they tanked the reconciliation package so that they could get bipartisan support in the Senate for the CHIPS package, which passed with more than 17, I think, Republicans. And then immediately Manchin announced the reconciliation package deal uh, on the tail end of that. And so folks have been uh, crying foul. Republicans have been crying foul. And and I think the, the biggest legislative concern for us, well, it's twofold. The first is, what does this do to, uh, we talked about it last week, 
you know, there's there's those contentious issues and then everything else is moving and everybody else is talking about the other things that are that are moving. There's negotiation and that's happening. Does, You're talking about things like the appropriations bill yeah. and the and the National Defense Authorization Act and. Absolutely. Absolutely. Must, must pass legislation. Yeah. Water Resources Development Act and, and a number of other things. Um, and, and so the concern is that this reconciliation uh, deal really tanks the bipartisan nature of everything else that's happening outside of the, the spotlight. Do you, do you think that's what happens? You know, it's a, it's a great question. So Republicans were outraged when the reconciliation deal was announced and they actually voted down a Outraged. veterans bill. Outraged, outraged. Uh, and they <laughs> voted down a veterans bill in the Senate that evening, uh, which was a bipartisan veterans bill just to as a, a display of frustration. However, they turned around the next day and supported the water resources bill uh, overwhelmingly. I think there was two votes against it. Ultimately, it was like a 98 to two vote uh, in the Senate. And so we're I think everybody's trying to to. Um, rebuild some bridges and we'll see what happens with the reconciliation bill, which quite frankly, you know, has a, has a little ways to go here over the next several weeks, you know, 50, 50 Senate cinema has not announced how she's going to vote yet. Although I think she will vote for it, but in the house you have uh, a four seat majority currently for the Democrats and, and it's going to go down to three seats after an August 9th uh, special election. So Pelosi is going to, one of her potentially last things as speaker will be maybe one of her toughest votes to get through. Patrick, it feels McConnell-esque uh, what the Democrats have done here. It, it feels like a straight, it feels like a page straight out of a Mitch McConnell playbook. Yeah. To highlight one thing in your initial question, Howard, about why people hate Congress, uh, a temper tantrum vote to vote down something that was widely considered was going to pass because they're mad about, I mean, that it's, I will just point to stuff like that. I don't think the American people is uh, particularly wild about, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's going to be kind of incredible if they get all of this done, you may end up looking back on this Congress with the divided majorities as one of the most successful legislative Congresses we've seen in a while, just given all of the, hurdles they had to overcome. It's it's pretty remarkable. And I think what's really driving all of this, even from leadership down to Senator Manchin, is a recognition that this isn't going to be uh, doable in a few months after the elections, that the Republicans are going to take back the House. And even if the Democrats were able to hold a 50-50 Senate, which I think is you know a long shot at best, this is a particular moment in time when all of these guys have an ability to get something done, and in Manchin's case, to shape a package. And I think that uh, is what's driving all of this towards, you know, its uh, potential conclusion of, of seeing all these things get done. Yeah. Now, Patrick, I do have to say one thing. Divided Congress doesn't doesn't fly when Democrats have majorities in both. I, maybe you're assuming Manchin is not a Democrat, but I think he's- No, but I'm for- saying a 50-50 <laughs> and a three-seat. These are, yeah. these are majorities, like, yeah. barely. I mean, I, I'm yeah. saying successful from a unified right. government standpoint. I don't think, uh, I certainly didn't think they, you know, I know progressives are very disappointed they haven't accomplished more. I, if they get this reconciliation bill done, chips and a couple of these other things, they will have accomplished more than I think a lot of Washington insiders thought they they would have given given yeah. the, the close majorities. 
And the Democrats may nominate Joe Biden to be the next president to be or uh, Joe Manchin, I should say, to be the next president. If uh, if he's able to lead a reconciliation bill through and embarrass the Republicans like this, everybody's now just fine with Joe Manchin. He's 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 great all of a sudden. So, guys, to that end, what you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I've mentioned this before being in. Colorado, southwestern Colorado, when the Affordable Care Act was being considered and seeing people protest on the streets about the pendency of the Affordable Care Act during August recess. Um, it's always kind of stuck in my head. What are people going to be talking about in real America this August, like while they're on their lake vacations and and boating and barbecuing. What are they going to be? What are they going to be talking about, Towner? How much they hate campaign commercials. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> I think that's going to be the number one refrain for the next three months. Uh, Patrick, what do you think? I don't think they're going to be talking about any particular piece of legislation. I think you know, with the ACA, I think there was a genuine fear because it was healthcare, and there was just a lot of kind of false messaging out there. I think a lot of people were scared that they like weren't going to have health insurance anymore and they were going to get sick and die. And there was there was just a lot of like real fear that obviously didn't work out that way. It uh, in a lot of ways has been very successful. But I don't think this path, I don't think anything Congress is voting on right now is going to dictate the summer lake conversation like where I am right now in Michigan. I think on the good news side for the Democrats, people are noticing gas prices are coming down. Um, I'm seeing them here. I was just talking to my in-laws about it. People are hopeful they're going to be under $4 by Labor Day weekend. I think that's a good piece of news for the Democrats. Bad piece of news, the prices overall on goods, people aren't feeling that yet. And I think the inflation report we saw, was it last week or the week before last week? Things are just still really expensive. I think people are still really feeling that pocketbook pain. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's bad news for the Biden White House. Caitlin. I think you're still going to hear a lot about concerns over, you know, affordable housing. Rents are sky high right now. You can't even find uh, the, the supply of homes across the country, not just, you know, outside of the major metropolitan areas. I uh, sort of jumped in a, a couple of minutes late here this morning, but I think, too, you're going to hear some frustration about this reconciliation bill and, and Democrats trying to just jam something through to just to, you know, at a time when when folks are hurting, Americans are hurting with um, inflation. And I think with with the numbers that came out yesterday, it's it's clear we are, in fact, in a recession. I say none of the above, guys. I think people are going to be talking about COVID and Donald Trump because it feels like as much as we want to move past COVID, we're not. And I mean, I, I, I can't count the number of people I know right now that have COVID. It's crazy. And so we're, we're not past COVID. And I think it's, I think there are so many issues that COVID has created for the way we live and work, particularly the way we work. I, I just think it's a huge, issue still for people and, and an ever-present topic of conversation. And so is the former president. No matter 
where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you look at the world, people are still talking about Donald Trump, which is why, which is why I think he has a chance to win again if he chooses to run, which I think he will. So, you know, I think those two things continue to be a, a total eclipse. And I think that's what people talk about, talk about in August. Interestingly, uh, Biden made some remarks this week after he came out of hybrid, COVID hibernation, where he threw some shade at his predecessor, Caitlin, and said that his predecessor had to be medevac to Walter Reed or whatever, um, and was in a hospital bed. My predecessor got COVID. He had to be helicoptered to Walter Reed. He was severely ill. Thankfully, he recovered, Biden said. When I got COVID, I worked from upstairs in, of the White House in the office upstairs for that five-day period. Caitlin, what did you think about what the current president said about COVID and the former president? I think it's a ridiculous comparison. Trump was not vaccinated. It was before the vaccine was even available, which, again, blame the man for many, many, many things. But Operation Warp Speed and getting those vaccines out to people so that Joe Biden could start his administration and get Americans vaccinated was really, you know, the support of the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed program. And Biden is double vaxxed, triple boosted, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's like comparing apples to oranges. I thought it was a little petty. Um, you know, he did then pivot after the statement you read, Howard, to saying, like, this is why it's important Americans be vaccinated. And that point is fine and well, but he's just goading the man. And I just don't think it's a fair comparison. I think I mean, it makes him look petty. Yeah. You, so you don't think Trump would do the same thing and more if the situation were reversed? saying that i just think it was well we know trump is petty right well, he can't he's not on twitter <laughs> he's on truth social counter <laughs> whatever that is <laughs> i i liked it i think you know what it's about time patrick this white house started throwing punches i'm sick and tired of seeing the kind of closed mouth above it all mentality and the way they're communicating with the public like let's put the gloves on i mean not that everything has to be a fight that's certainly not my view of the way that government should work but like from a messaging point of view let's throw some punches you know let's let's mix it up a bit i like this it's, it's only petty in the context of how trump views and says and does everything like if you pick two different presidents and use the exact same quote to highlight the point that the vaccine is what can keep you safe and healthy you wouldn't think of it as petty like if this was like bill clinton saying this about george hw bush in a different world where the pandemic happened to them it's only petty because trump in his statements has always said he you know beat the vaccine better than anyone in history and all this sorts of stuff so to me, in politics and in speech writing, this was just a classic twofer. They said something that was 100% factually accurate to highlight a point they're trying to make every day that people should get vaccinated and boosted. And if it had the added effect of also needling the former president, who they probably almost certainly think is going to be their opponent in two years, then I, I don't think they saw any downside. Yeah. yeah By the way... way Pfizer didn't really utilize Operation Warp Speed. So, but look, yes, Operation Warp Speed 
the government's role in helping to speed uh, vaccination production was a success. But I'm sorry, when you refuse to get vaccinated in public because you don't want to telegraph to your supporters that you should get vaccinated, you give up, in my judgment, in my opinion, the ability to take credit for it. The fact of the matter is, yes, since then, Trump has said in muted terms, get vaccinated. But when you're out there basically fanning the flames of the anti-government, anti-science view of the world, and you're talking about injecting yourself with bleach as a cure for COVID, and you're not preaching vaccination and refusing to get vaccinated on television to show people that it's safe, you give up the opportunity, Caitlin, to tell the world that you get credit for the vaccine for the vaccine production. That's I, I don't that's my view. And that right there, Howard, is one of the many reasons Donald Trump did not get reelected. Howard, to your point about what people are talking about, too, you saw in Biden's speech, in addition to the comment he made, they are really trying to move past COVID. Like everything in his remarks were like, it's here. We can live with it. We can deal with it. And your point about what people are talking about, I do agree people are going to be talking about Trump and he hangs over us and I see Trump 24 signs and all sorts of stuff where I am right now on summer vacation. But I will I will say people are not talking about COVID except my wife and I. <laughs> but I, I, everywhere we go, no one's talking about it. And that is good news for the Biden administration. But I just don't know if like, I don't know if Democrats can move on. I think there's a real, I think they're struggling with like how to take the next step. And I guess it depends on where you are. Because if we were at home in the suburban community where we live, the numbers are going up. People are wearing masks again. People are are nervous. But I don't know. I don't know if people are going to be talking about COVID as much across the country. And I think well, that's kind of a good thing. I think it, it depends how you define talking about COVID, Towner, because... There are all sorts of issues that COVID has created in the way, just take a look at the way we work and differentiation between different types of employees and workplace flexibility and all sorts of issues that are creating kind of a, another haves versus have nots kind of issue. And I, I just think the permutations of COVID and what it means societally are they're really, really significant. And, and whether they're actually talking about the, the virus itself, which, I mean, look, both of my parents have it right now. My in, Both of my in-laws just had it. The president just had it. Like, yes, it's more we're learning to, learning to live with it and kind of going on with our lives. But it, it's... It's ever present medically, but I also think it is really, really creating additional divisions in society that are, are real and, and are going to have a profound impact and need to be addressed. I do think there's some of that, although I don't think that we are treating restaurant employees as though they're frontline health workers at this point anymore. Like we're not... We're not saying, hey, thank you so much for, for coming out and being a waiter, you know, and putting yourself at risk. We, we don't have that mentality, I don't think, as a society anymore that we had in 2020 or 2021 when, when we were saying, you know, folks who have to go out into the workplace, 
um, because because that's where they make their living. You know, we 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 feel for them because they're put in a horrible situation. We're not there anymore. I mean, from a from a family standpoint, I don't think I think about COVID very much anymore, except for this week, because we are going on vacation next week. And gosh, I don't want to get COVID and have to cancel airplane tickets or whatever to, to go on our vacation. That's that's the context in which now we're, we're contemplating COVID. Uh, and my wife and I actually had a conversation last weekend. We sort of hoped we got COVID last weekend if we were going to get it again so we could be over it and then go on vacation as planned. And that is a crazy conversation. We stopped in the middle of it to, to contemplate how insane that conversation was given all that we've been through over the last two and a half years. But, you know, that's, that's sort of where we're, where we are right now. And I do think, you know, I agree with you completely. There are a, a group of, of folks, mostly in the higher income levels uh, that feel like they can work from anywhere. There's the remote work and and the like, and then there's folks who are who are tied to a location. Um, and there's an unfairness between the two uh, from a professional service versus a versus sort of a retail side of the equation. And I think that'll come come together again over time. I think you know our experience, uh, it, Caitlin and I's and yours and Patrick's, is that. Capitol Hill, for example, is open and it has been open uh, since at least mid-March, maybe even a little bit before that, but at least mid-March. My schedule now is not very different than it was in 2019. Uh, from an office participation standpoint and going in, you know, maybe I'm not in every Friday anymore, but uh, but for the most part, you know, we're in the office constantly because that's where our, our work is done. And I think various sectors of the economy will start rolling into that, you know, people to people communication is still going to be important in this world. Um, and if I could roll back for one second, just to say, you know, it's interesting to me because I love that you love that the Biden administration is taking the gloves off uh, with tweets like that. My favorite part about this has been that Democratic voters are clamoring for Biden to show any sort of uh, ability to be like Donald Trump, even though they hated everything Donald Trump was. And now they're going to celebrate, you know, the shots, uh, which I don't is want him to be like Trump. I, I just want to see some bravado. Yeah. And some um, a, some willingness to assert himself and speak up. And and it's not so much wanting him to be like Trump. It's not at all wanting him to be like Trump, but it's an assertion of his he's the president he's in charge and you know not everything is fire and brimstone and let's put the gloves on and and call like it is it's yeah i mean i understand what you're saying but i think for me it's more gosh like let's see the man show that he's got some moxie like i just want to see some moxie he's the president i want the country to do well I, I I still think like to our conversation on this, I still think we're acting like it was more than it was. I mean, if it was Trumpy and he would have been, it would have yeah. been a whole different way of saying it. I mean, just read Weak. the words. What it, it's not like, listen, was it a needle? Sure. But it wasn't untrue. <laughs> I mean, right. It was factually was correct. True. You said it that was, yesterday, Howard. You're exactly right. It was spot right. on. Right. It's factually correct. And look, I know I'm making a little bit more of the remark. I guess for me, it's a counter. It's what I was just saying. It's an expression that I would like to see 
this administration be more forceful in the way it communicates with the American public because, and the way it talks about the country, because I think that's important to our collective morale. Well, I'll say maybe it was a statement too. to, I mean, you never know who people are talking, but if it was a statement to unvaccinated America, to Trump mega America, to me, the context was your fearless leader who you guys love and adore and believe everything that comes out of his mouth had to get flown to Walter Reed and me, Joe Biden, the person that you're constantly saying is too old to be in office, is sick, is senile, all these things you guys are talking about all the time. I'm completely fine. I'm totally fine. And I'm back at work. And what does that tell you? Get the shot. (laughs) That's so if that was like the subtext, then I'm all for it. Yeah, but it, it read like I am stronger than Donald Trump. And it read like a shot that Donald Trump would would take against anybody else. And my point about the Trump administration and now the Biden administration is that when you're the president and you have to remind people through cheap shots that you're strong, you are actually weak. And that is exactly what Trump was. And that is where Biden's taking himself right now. And if you if you feel like you have to stand up and talk about your muscles like Gaston from Disney, you're actually the weaker man at the end of the day. Wow. 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 Towner throwing it. You are so juiced up for Disney World. I am. You are like we're going to do it. Full magic kingdom. mode. I love it. (laughs) Towner, bring your bring your cold pack and your fan with you. Oh, God. I hear it's a little hot there in Orlando in August. Uh, I'm going to bake. Caitlin. No, I completely agree with what Towner just said. I think, again, it's there's no comparison. Trump wasn't vaccinated. People were still dying and, and, and getting severe illness. And I think the ability to for you know folks that do get COVID to get Paxiloid and get immediate treatments, that's that shows how far we've come. And I think, you know, I do think the last administration deserves some credit for that. Sure. So All right, so we're going to end with the following question. Patrick, when you win the Mega Millions billion dollar jackpot, because I know you're playing it there in northern Michigan. I need to buy them. Are you you still coming to work on Monday? That's what I want to know. I love it. You speaking of what people are talking about. My mother-in-law told us we needed to buy a ticket. I didn't. I didn't even have any idea that this was going on. But it is definitely being talked about. Yes, I would still come to work. It, it's a in a economy where anyone in America right now can get a job who wants one. It's nice, I think, for all of us to be able to go to work and say that if I didn't have to work, this is still the job I'd want to do because it's fun and I get to work with you guys and get to talk about current affairs and we get to represent great clients and sometimes it doesn't even feel like work. So uh, the short answer is yes, I would be at work on Monday. I might be driving a different car, but that's that's about it. Counter is Patrick telling the truth. No, he's he's a liar. He's a liar. <laughs> I'd be, anybody... I would be zooming in for my mega yacht in the Mediterranean, but I would still certainly be here with you all, just maybe from afar. Well, and I think Caitlin, that tells the story about the, the haves and the have-nots in the COVID era, era, right? I mean, you know, if I had a billion dollars, I'd love to do a little lobbying on the side and I'd join a podcast from time to time. But exactly, it'd be from my mega yacht and I'd be zooming into everything. You wouldn't see me in person unless I was, you know, strolling through the Capitol. And Caitlin, you'd be upgrading your Greece um, accommodations to your private yacht instead of... Uh... 
ferrying around the islands. Absolutely. You take, Guys, take I, think home with I, you. I think what we're all saying is we, we would just start, we would all become Mark Alderman. We would all become our fearless <laughs> chairman and we would have uh, a wonderful life and be able to lobby all at the same time. We would. There you go. There Absolutely. you go. A great note to end on. Well, guys, <laughs> have a August recess. Have have a great August recess. We will be back in September when the mudslinging and the prognostication and the analysis and all of that will be in full force as we head toward the midterms. It'll be a lot of fun to talk about it. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back in a month. And that's all for today. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.